This is CliffCentral.com. Please note that the views expressed and the advice provided in this show are for general advice and entertainment purposes only. Nothing stated should be treated as a substitute for your own independent legal advice based on your own specific facts and objectives. Therefore, the presenter and CliffCentral.com accept no liability of any nature whatsoever, either expressed or implied. Law. Like you've never heard it before. The Laws of Life. With Gary Hertzberg on CliffCentral.com. I'm Gary Hertzberg and this is The Laws of Life on CliffCentral.com. Today's show is about labor brokers, also known as Temporary Employment Services, TES for short. It's very pertinent right now as the Constitutional Court has very recently ruled on this one. And uh, there have been some mixed reactions to the Concord ruling. According to City Press, labor brokers view the ruling on the deeming provision in Section 198, which we'll explain in more detail, um, as practically meaningless, claiming that the ruling won't change a thing, whereas the unions have held the Concord ruling as a major victory. Both sides of the spectrum are claiming victory. So who is the winner? I am the winner. You are the loser. I am the winner. You are the loser. I am the winner. You are the loser. I am the winner. Yeah. <laughs> One of the questions we'll be asking today in light of the Concord judgment is who does the temporary employee actually work for? You work for me. Yeah, that's British uh, singer Laura Mavula. I think she's married to a Zambian. That's how she gets the African surname, Mavula. You work for me, inspired by the man from Uncle. Beautiful song. Joining me in studio today is esteemed labor economist and specialist labor consultant, good friend, Andrew Levy. Welcome to you, Andrew. Hi, Gary, and as always, lovely to uh, to be in the studio with you. Great. Our partner today, Legal Talk South Africa, with its membership now in excess of 193,000. When they get to 200,000, we're getting the boss, Ray Green, on the show to talk to us. Marvelous achievement there. The uh, Our Facebook page, uh, The Laws of Life with Gary Hertzberg. Have a look. Give us a like if you like. And our Twitter handle at Hertzlaw, H-E-R-T-Z-L-A-W. Let's uh, introduce Andrew Levy for those who may not know him. And uh, they're few and far, they must be few and far between. But very briefly, Andrew Levy is one of South Africa's best known labor resources. He's been in labor field for over 40 years and has written countless books on labor law and practice. He has a master's degree in both labor economics and labor law, and he has consulted to the works, to the International Monetary Fund, the International Labor Organizations, the South African Reserve Bank, etc., etc., etc. He was on South Africa's 702 labor line for over 10 years, I think it was, Andrew. Yeah, 13 or so. Yeah. Yeah. His firm, Andrew Levy Employment, uh, known as andrewlevy.co.za. is based in Johannesburg and uh, provides consultancy training and research. It publishes the very influential 
I think it's a quarterly wage settlement survey and industrial action monitor. Yep. Yep. Cool. Andrew, let's talk about the uh, Concord judgment, uh, which dealt with the deeming provision in Section 198 for the lovers of law, 1998A3B1 yep, of the, the LRA. Yep. Yeah. Before you get to unpack the judgment, briefly take us through exactly what a labor broker is, why companies make use of their services instead of employing their own staff, and maybe a brief history of labor broking in South Africa. Sure, Gary. The whole thing does have a lengthy history, um, and in a sense, it's uh, a history of uh, abuse without trying to uh, uh, color or prejudge the issue. Now, when the Labor Relations Act was written, um, it dealt with a lot of practical problems, and one of them is, let's assume you have an employee, the employees are sick, they're going to be away for a couple of weeks or they're on leave, it's an essential job that needs to be done, let's assume it's uh, the receptionist, uh, who uh, handles the switchboard, the calls, and welcomes your visitors. You've got to have someone there, so what do you do? Now, there were at the time, and there still are, a lot of firms who provide temporary staff, temp mm. staff. So you call up one of those firms and you say, I need a temp for a couple of weeks or a couple of days. Can you send me someone? And they do. Now, when the drafters of the law looked at this, they said, we recognize, we realize that in the labor market, there is a need from time to time for people to be employed temporarily. Who is their employer going to be? And they said, look, if it's only for a couple of days or a couple of weeks, it really doesn't make sense to say that the person using that temporary employer is the employer, uh, employee is the employer, because then they're going to have to uh, uh, take off the PAYE. They're going to have to do all sorts of things, which is a bit of an administrative nightmare for someone who might be there for two or three days. So mm. in those circumstances, if someone is placed on a temporary basis, we'll say that they are the employee of the temporary agency mm. and not the employer. Now, what happened with that was that employers who wanted to uh, free themselves as to, from what they saw as the shackles of labor law, uh, the pain of having to treat employees fairly, the uh, anxiety of not wanting to retrench them or fire them unfairly, and all of those things which labor law does to protect employees, they sought to find way around it, uh, ways around it. And what they lit upon was this little paragraph in the LRA that says, if someone is placed on a temporary basis, it's not your employee, it's the employee of the temporary agency. And they then proceeded to employ people through these temporary agencies. But here's the thing, not on a temporary basis. They used them as the full long-term staffing solution. Why? Because on that basis, they could turn around and say, these are not my employees. I don't have to worry about them. If I think this guy is stealing, I don't have to have a hearing. I don't have to do that. I simply phone the labor broker, the temporary service who supplied it, and say, I don't want to see him again, and he won't be there tomorrow. Mm. So in other words, I can free myself of this burden of having to comply with labor law um, by using this device, which was only meant to be used on a temporary basis but has now actually become the long-term mode of employment. So I came across firms where the employer would point to a factory floor where there were 250 people making components for the motor industry and say, I don't have a single employee. 
Mm-hmm. Well, who, who are these people? No, they belong to the labor broker. So what happened and the nub of the abuse was what was seen as a temporary solution to a practical problem became a vehicle for the employer being able to um, slough off his responsibilities as an employer and place them with the labor broker, for which, of course, the labor broker charged a premium and so made his money. Mm. And it suited both of them particularly well. Was, so, sorry, was the employer paying more as a result of having a labor the broker? The employer was paying more, mm. but the labor broker was taking his, his or commission. Her, his commission. Yeah. And generally speaking, because they were not held to be employees, they earned less than people who were permanent full-time employees. Mm. They didn't have pension, provident fund. They may not have had access to some of the other benefits. And uh, on balance, they were generally worse off. And the most important thing was they had no job security. So your job could end tomorrow mm. if that was what the employer wanted. How did the unions, uh, let's talk Kasatu, how did they, uh, how did they view this? In the most extreme and negative light. And I mean, their words were exploiters, uh, traffickers in human flesh, um, you know, the worst kind of um, epithets that you could apply to someone. Mm. Um, and they saw it as undermining the entire fabric of protective labor law and as a terrible exploitation of labor. Um, and uh, you can quite understand why. So the unions set their heart against it from the word go uh, and have been lobbying for probably 10 years to end the practice. What was the uh, ruling party, the ANC, what was their response to to Kasatu and the rest? The ANC were also um, anti-labor broking. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, one didn't have to be a member of the ANC to see that clearly um, there was an abuse of a, uh, uh, a mechanism was was put in for one purpose, which was being used for another. That was not the intention. Mm-hmm. So the ANC were against it, but they did come across cross uh, or up against a huge vested interests of the employers and the labor brokers, the labor broking community. And uh, it must be said that the labor broker broking community uh, organized themselves into a, uh, a very large and well-funded and effective uh, machine which spent a lot of time on their PR campaign, on trying to influence the outcome, um, on uh, certainly attacking anybody or anything who ventured a differing opinion. So they defended their turf um, robustly, and it was clear from the very start that this thing was going to go the distance. Let's talk a little law now, Andrew. Let's talk about the judgment of the concord in the it's called the assigned services yeah. case ASSIGN yeah. for anyone who wants to go to safli you just google s a f l i i uh, and when you're on Safi, just put a signed services concord and you'll get the judgment maybe you can talk to us about the facts of that case and then it went from the CCMA to the Labour Court to the Labour Appeal Court and only then to the Concord. Let's take it slowly. Okay. Tell us about the facts of that particular case. Okay. Well, the facts are quite straightforward and it could have frankly been anyone out there, but it happened to be assigned services. Assigned services are um, a temporary employment service or what we call a labour broker. And they would then, in response to a client request, uh, the client may say, look, I need a 100 people to come and work in my factory. They would say, right, we'll supply you with a 100 people. You pay us. We will remunerate the people. We'll take our commission off the top of that. Any problems with that, them, we'll deal with them. We'll discipline them. We'll do all of those things. You don't need to worry about a thing. Um, 
And in this particular case, um, the company that uh, used the services of a sign was a company called Crossed, um, who make shelving and racking and stuff like that. And these employees were employed by Assigned Services and were placed at Crossed. Now, what then took place, um, and I'll just outline the facts and we'll then have to step back and, and look a little bit more at the surrounding circumstances. What then took place was that the law was amended to prevent the abuse of labor breaking. Now, this is a very important point. The intention of the law was never to ban labor broking. That would have been probably unconstitutional. Mm. It would have also been unwise. Namibia tried that. Namibia lost that in their constitutional court. The law was focused on stopping the abuse. How do you stop the abuse? We allow you to continue temporary employment services for a short term, but not for a long term. So they simply said, we define short term as up to three months, mm-hmm. or if there is someone in the job and they're away for longer than three months, you can use temporary labor provided we know who the person is and when they're coming back. Mm. That's all the law says. There's said. also a monetary issue, isn't there? Uh, the person's got to earn, is it less than 205000 well, there, yeah. there is, but we will get to that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So we have a situation then that the law then comes in and it says, okay, effectively we are going to mark the cutoff point between short-term use and long-term use. That is three months. Mm. The law then also says, but this does not apply to everybody. We are concerned with looking after the lower-paid people at the bottom end of the spectrum. They are least able to help themselves, so we're not interested in people who earn a lot of money. Therefore, it is people who are placed by a labor broker for longer than three months and who earn less than a threshold figure, mm. which at the moment is set at 205000 per annum, which is not a low cutoff point in terms of bearing in mind that that is probably the best part of 15, 16 grand a month, whereas the median wage in South Africa is only just on four grand a month. So we're talking that this thing goes up to four times the median wage. Mm. Be that as it may. That's what the law says. And to give effect to the law, um, the legislator put in a clause there which says after three months, the employees of the labor broker are deemed to be the employees of the client of the labor broker. So in this case, the uh, situation would be that because of the LRA, because they've been at cross for more than three months, because they earn less than 205,000, three months elapses and they are now in terms of the LRA, deemed to be Crost's employees. Mm. So the question that really uh, seized the court in this, case, in this case was, what does deemed mean? Mm. And effectively, there were two um, contesting views. The labor brokers went for what is summed up as being the dual employment view. So they said, Al- although the deeming provision means you now become the employees of the client of the labor broker, However, the labor broker is still your employer. So you have two employers. There is dual employment. And you, by the way, can sue either one of them if you think you're being unfairly treated. The union, on the other hand, contended that no, there was no such thing as dual employment. This was not the intention. This was not the interpretation. And what the deeming provision meant was that you now became the employees of Crossed and the labor brokers fell out of the picture. Mm -hmm. And so the whole Concord case was simply about 
Is there a dual interpretation of the word deemed to be an employee or does it only support a single interpretation? Mm. So the thing starts off in the CCMA. Um, and obviously both sides know this is going to be a big one. Both sides know this is probably going to go all the way to the con court. So in the CCMA, they have uh, senior counsel representing them. The CCMA uh, chooses a very well-respected and a very erudite commissioner to hear the case who finds in favor of the union, finds in favor of NAMSA um, in a very, very well-reasoned judgment. Um, as would be expected, this is then sent on review to the Labour Court. Um, now, my own view is that um, the original uh, finding of the Commissioner was correct, it was faultless, it was well done, and that was the uh, outcome I expected uh, from every single court that uh, we'd ended up looking at this matter. However, on the review, it came before Acting Judge Brassey, and Brassey um, took a, uh, a slightly different view, in my opinion. He somewhat ducked the issue, uh, but in point of fact, he found um, that the deeming provision was not inconsistent with the dual employer thesis. Mm-hmm. So Brassey said, well, uh, and, and it was quite a narrow thing. He says, although the LRA deems them to be the uh, employees of Crost, of the uh, client of the labor broker, there's nothing in there that says, and this destroys the existing contract of employment with the labor broker. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that was duly appealed by the union, went yes. to the Labor Appeal Court, mm-hmm. who came out in favor of the sole employer interpretation. That went to the Constitutional Court, who again, uh, with one dissension, uh, favored the sole employer interpretation. So that's where we are. Um, and, you know, what I've seen simply is, is the, uh, uh, the temporary employment service community, the labor broking community and their organization are, are, are doing their damnedest to put a positive spin on this and say it changes nothing and say, uh, it's meaningless. You still need us. It, yeah. uh, I mean, that's, yeah. that, that is fatuous nonsense. Mm-hmm. It's extremely meaningful. Um, and, you know, if I was President Trump sitting in this chair, and I'm delighted that I'm not, I'd say that's <laughs> I'm fake. I'm delighted you're yes, not as you know, well. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. fake news. Yes. Uh, it is very significant, and it changes a great deal. So what is the, what's the effect now, no. really? Well, the effect, Gary, and this is the interesting thing, the effect began to be felt two years ago. And let's not debate for the moment as to whether this is a good thing for the labor market or not a good thing for the labor market, but employers saw this coming from a long way away. Mm. And the employers, for the last 18 to 24 months, have been shifting out of the use of labor brokers as a long-term provider of labor. And it needs to be clearly stated that labor brokers are not banned. You can use them for legitimate purposes. If you have an unforeseen uh, need for someone on a short-term basis, you are still able, and what the um, amendments to the LRA did when they brought in the labor broker deeming provision, they gave the employer a great deal more flexibility with fixed-term contracts, which can also be subject to abuse. But they gave them some very positive things they could do with fixed-term contracts, obviously in the hope that employers would accept the responsibility for being employers themselves and uh, for uh, and, and not use the labor brokers and use fixed-term contracts. So in reality, 
the demand for labor broker services is not what it was uh, three, four years ago. I mean, at one stage, labor broking was one of the fastest growth industries around, mm. um, which is why um, they were referred to in a, uh, a fairly uh, derogatory sense as the Bucky Brigade. Mm. Um, I mean, obviously, there are good labor brokers, just as there are unscrupulous labor brokers. And the term Bucky Brigade, if I'm not mistaken, I, in fact, may have coined it. And this was to reflect the kind of labor broker who would read in a strike uh, in, in the newspaper that you've got a strike. You then phone up the company and say, I hear you've got a strike. Do you want some replacement labor? How many buckies full do you want? <laughs> so by, by them, um, labor was a commodity sold in bucky loads mm. uh, and, and lost sight of the whole thing. Mm. Um, but in point of fact, employers began to shift. So a lot of labor brokers went out of business, mm. and, and there are many, many reputable labor brokers. There are many, many big firms who are very involved in this market, and they began to uh, amend and tweak their business model to cope with this thing. So I think that to a large extent, we've probably felt the immediate fallout. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, as always, there are people who will ignore, ignore the law. And while we have such unprecedentedly uh, high levels of unemployment, there are always going to be people who'd rather earn something than nothing. So it will go on uh, as a grey market. So bottom line, Andrew, after three months, that temporary employee becomes the employee of the company. And then the company has to deal with him as though he was a permanent employee and you cannot fire him, you cannot do anything. You You cannot treat him unfairly. Yes. That's exactly um, what it says. He now becomes, by operation of law, if you will, the employee of that company. Does does the company in practice pay his salary or… The company can pay the labor broker and the labor broker can still… Acting as a payroll agency yes, Still yes. pay him mm-hmm. uh, But the test for employment is not Who pays the wages But here the important thing is simply this That the minute he becomes the employee Of the employer He is entitled to pay equality mm-hmm. With all the other people there And pay equality means equality of pay And benefits mm-hmm. So if he's working alongside from a labor broker People who have For example either a higher rate of pay or a pension provident fund in place to which the employer contributes, that person is entitled to the same things. When the uh, unions claim victory, it is in fact a victory for the unions. There's no doubt about it. Unquestionably, uh, the, the, uh, the other stories are merely spin from the labor brokers um, who are uh, desperately trying to say, look, it doesn't mean what you think it means. We're still okay. You can still use us. Mm. And indeed you can. But what you can if you wish to is, and this is a very subtle point, is you can say to the labor broker, I want to outsource paying the salaries to you. I want to outsource all my discipline to you. Mm. I want to outsource managing my labor to you. It's a hassle for me. You do it. I know that I'm liable if there's some unfair treatment and I can be, get uh, sued, but, but you manage it um, and I will pay you a I'd premium I'd rather use Andrew that. Levy and company. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's, Andrew that's, Levy that's, and employment. That's what they would say. <laughs> yeah. um, we don't do that kind of thing as it happens, yes. but uh, yeah, that's effectively what they... I'll outsource it. I'll pay the outsource premium and I don't now have to worry about paying my people or having an HR department or this, and the other. I know I'm on the line if something goes wrong, mm-hmm. um, so I'll probably be a little circumspect in terms of who I choose. But on the other side of the coin, and I think this is unquestionably what the drafters wanted, the same employer will say, why should I pay more for this and still be at risk if they screw up? Yes. When if I do it myself, I save money and I know that I'm doing a proper Absolutely. job. Before we close off on this discussion, anything you want to add? 
Um, just say hello to my mother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, Gary, I, yeah. I, I think there it is. There are um, many organizations out there, uh, other than the trade unions, who will assist people who believe they are uh, um, having difficulty and are being unfairly treated. Obviously, unions will. There are various uh, um, uh, worker aid, uh, legal aid clinics, such as the one at Vitz. But equally, if you want to go to the CCMA... Um, the CCMA will look right through the labor broker uh, and will allow you to have a go at who the real employer is. So I, th- I think it's pretty clear. Good. And, you know, as as you know, and you could comment, um, once it's been to the Concord, that's the end that's of the, the end matter. That's the end of that. Yeah. yeah. Good. Andrew, you've just spoken about the CCMA. So many cases have been lost there because of inexperience and, and lack of knowledge. We're going to put this on a separate podcast because we have tons and tons of questions coming through from Legal Talk South Africa on how to deal with your case in the CCMA. So um, to our live listeners, uh, hang around and we're going to take a quick break and uh, the CCMA aspect will be on a separate podcast. This is CliffCentral.com.